And I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when I um, asked to minister at some church. A lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast thank you so much again and god bless well good evening it is good to be in the house of god amen so if you have your bibles would you open with me to luke chapter 15 i know we'll have it on the screen too Uh, i'll be reading from the esv version it's a famous parable that jesus told and you have to understand the context here jesus is being accused for hanging around, uh, around with the wrong people. The tax collectors and the, the prostitutes and the Pharisees are having a, a problem with that. So Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine behind, or ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. For what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweeps the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just as so, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you bow your heads with me and join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, you are doing your work in this church, and I know that you care about this church more than I care about this church. Lord, I know that you have your true bride of Christ in this place. I ask you right now, God, that you give me boldness and anointing to, to do justice, Lord, to your word. Lord, I pray that your anointing might come and quicken your word to our hearts and that you change us, God, that you open up our hearts, that we receive from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a life-changing moment for all of us involved. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will come and quicken your word. You said if your word goes out, you will not come back empty. You will do the very thing that was intended to do. And I trust, O God, that your word tonight will do the very thing it was intended to do, and that is change people's lives and transform them. May Jesus pray, and everyone said, Amen. If you ever have a time in your life where you seem to go from one extreme to another, You know exactly what I mean when I say that I had times in my life where I was like, you know, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And you go for a long time just eating what you want, and then you realize that you're becoming very unhealthy. And then you change, and you're like, I'm going to start going to the gym. And you start liking going to the gym. You start liking eating healthy to the point where you're going to a whole unhealthy extreme where all you talk about is eating healthy and the gym, and your friends are getting really annoyed of you, right? Where you had those moments where you had a relationship with your parents, where 
it's very, very superficial, and it's very, you know, you, you have problems with your parents, and then you go to the other extreme, and you pretend like everything is just fine, and you completely ignore the problems, right? Like, we, we tend to gravitate towards extremes. And there was a time where you were living in sin. It doesn't matter how old you were, or how old you are right now, I know for a fact, the Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and have fallen short, fallen short of God's glory. You would agree with that, right? All of us have a moment in our lives where we were living in sin. And Jesus has called us out of that sin. We came to the altar, maybe. Maybe it was at a conference. It was a church, maybe. And you understood that the way you were living is wrong. And you need to come to Jesus. And you can't start coming to church. And your life has changed for a moment. But then you tended to gravitate to the other extreme. And now you're one of those people that carry your Bible like this. And do one of these looks like, I just disagree with that. And you become like the religious person. Right? And now when you see people at the altar, you're like, wasn't he here last year? Like, I know his whole family. And you start to judge the person that came to repent. So we, we always gravitate to either we're living in sin, we're being extremely, hey, you know what? I gave my life to the Lord and now I'm holy. And my life is different now. And, and you start to look at other people they just came to Jesus. Oh, they're just, they're sinners. They're, they don't know what they're doing. Right? There's, there's always those two extremes. And in Luke chapter 15, we see this. We see that a whole bunch of Pharisees look to Jesus, who if you think about Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God himself, decides to have dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. And you're like, you know, like people who work for IRS, I don't have a problem with people that work for IRS. No, 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 no. Tax collectors there are different than what we have here. The tax collector in Jesus' time was a Jewish person who the Jews lived under the persecution of Romans. Romans who came to murder, to steal, to kill, to rape and they were, were, were holding the Jewish people under their foot. And a tax collector would be a Jewish person who is collecting the tax for the oppressors or for the Romans. These were the betrayers of their own nation. These were people who were not liked. The Pharisees did not like the tax collectors. And obviously, the Pharisees did not like the prostitutes either for obviously, obvious reasons, because they looked to the prostitutes as the untouchable, as the people who are doing horrible things. The Pharisees were the religious people, so they see Jesus sitting down at the table. I mean, isn't that crazy to even think about? The Son of God, God Himself, sits down across from sinners, from prostitutes, betrayers, tax collectors, and obviously the religious people, the religious folk, and that's not just, oh, them. At times, I'm like that too, right? They're like, well, well, Jesus, why aren't you hanging out with us? We're the important people. What What are you doing hanging out with the wrong crowd, so to say? And Jesus looks at them and says, wait a second. And this is how he gives these three parables And they're kind of pointing to the same point, but in three different ways. He starts out by by talking about the the sheep, a person who has a lot of, a hundred sheep, and then he loses one of them, and he leaves the 99 behind to go after that one, the one. And then he says, a woman who has, you know, 10 coins, and then she loses one of them, and then she rejoices and finding these silver coins. And then the last one that we haven't read yet, but we will get into, is the story, the famous story of the prodigal son. 
of a son who looks unto his father and says, I want nothing to do with you, but I want your money. So could you pay for me to go to Las Vegas? Could you give me what I deserve? Now, if you think about a coin and you look at the, the lost sheep, how do you lose a coin? Have you ever had a quarter and you lost it? I'm sure you had that. It just, if there's a crack in your pocket or whatever, it just slips right out. A lot of times when you lose a coin, it's accidental. You didn't intend for that coin to be lost, but it was lost. So, so Jesus is making reference here that the certain people are lost by accident. What I mean by that is they maybe did not, they didn't really pay attention to their relationship with God. They sort of were kind of the people who nobody really talked to them about Jesus. They sort of happened to accidentally be born in a family who wasn't Christian, who they never heard the gospel. Right? It's an accidental losing of someone. And then when he talks about the sheep, how does a sheep get lost? If you ever, if I, for about, um, about 15 years before I came to the United States, I was a shepherd boy. So I had to take the sheep and go tend them. And it was a job that I did not like because I don't know if you know this, but sheep are not exactly the smartest of animals. Like sheep, you have green grass right here and they're like going across the street to nothing. Sheep, they have to be constantly led. They're, they're, they're kind of the ones who always wander. How does a sheep get lost? By wandering off. It's something shiny they saw. Something greener they saw on the other side. And so Jesus is making reference here to, to a, a different kind of people. They get lost by, being, by wandering away. If the first people were the people who accidentally maybe were born at the wrong time in the wrong family, I don't know what happened. These people, they didn't have bad intentions. The sheep, the lost sheep, are the ones who, you know, they're like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess life is great. And, and they, they were wandering after stuff, and then they were led off by the enemy. They wandered too far off. And Jesus is making this reference, and he says, look, if you had ten coins and you lost one of them, wouldn't you look for one of them? Now, to us, it's like a quarter. I'm not spending an hour looking for it. But to them, a coin was a lot of money. If you lost $1,000, I bet you anything you would look for it. Right? So Jesus says, wait a second. You would do that for money, wouldn't you? You would. Shouldn't you do that for people? If you, if you are going to look for $1,000, if you lost it, shouldn't you put the same effort in looking for people? If you had 100 sheep and one of them wanders off, you would consider that one sheep worthy enough for you to step out of your comfort zone, go look for that one, and bring it back. And not only that, but you would throw a party for, 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 that, for that sheep. Shouldn't you do that for sinners? I remember I went to school uh, for about a week. Ray Hart Bonke, you guys probably heard of him. He did like a school in Florida for about a week. And I remember he was preaching this message. He says, and it was awesome what he said. He said, if you want God to care about your life, God cares about your life. But if you want your life to matter, care about the things that God cares about, and that is people. I'm amazed, I've been part of several different churches, not because I left them, but because we were planting different churches in different cities. And, you know, I was there for, you know, three years here, five years here, and so on. And I'm amazed at the, the arguments that we have in the church, of people fighting over furniture. Oh, I, I don't agree with that chair being right there. That one bothers me. Or the color of the church. Or, or, or the, 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 the table covers where you didn't get the right cups. And, and people are having this, this, this massive argument where they're losing relationships and they're not forgiving one another because they disagree about where the piano was placed. And I look at that, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Does it really matter where the piano is placed in light of eternity? We don't know. We're not guaranteed we see each other tomorrow. And these arguments that we have, they're plain stupid. In light of eternity. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. 
hey, if you look for a coin and you get your friends to celebrate, and if you look for a sheep and get your friends, you would go and chase that sheep down because you wandered off and then bring it down. And not only that, you bring it back, but you'd celebrate that moment because shouldn't you do that for a kid? Shouldn't you do that for a young man or a young woman? Shouldn't you do that for somebody that's, that gave their life to the Lord after 60 years wandering off? Where after 60 years wandering, we're accidentally walking in who knows what. Shouldn't you celebrate that? You should. And this is how we get to verse 13. And we're, we're talking here about the, 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 the prodigal son, right? Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11 starts and says, And then he said this, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to the father, to his father. But while he was still a long way off, praise, praise God, amen? His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his, finger, on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and it is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to celebrate. So if the coin was something that was accidentally lost, and the sheep wandered away, when it comes to the prodigal son, it's a person who looked at his father and said, you know what, I want your money, but I want nothing to do with you. Now, in that culture, you got an inheritance from your father, but you did not get that inheritance until your dad passed away. So for a son to say, I want my inheritance without you in it, is saying, I want you dead, you're dead in my life, I just want what you have. Imagine being that father. And father says that he goes and he sells. I mean, imagine he divides his, all that he has. I mean, maybe he had houses and maybe he had cattle. And then he had a whole bunch of stuff. He had to divide all of that in three parts. Because he had another son, right? The older brother, the younger brother, and himself. And he gives literally one third of it to this son. And the son takes it. And it's weird because... A lot of people say that he asked him and told him, um, I want to go away. But I think the text here is a bit different. He says, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property. So he first asked, I don't know if he told him his plans to leave. I wonder if the father thought, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just have divided now instead of later. Maybe the father thought, hey, he's still going to be around. But verse 13 says this, now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and took on a journey. So he divides the property, gives it to the son, and then some days later he says, you know what? I'm good. I'm set for life. I'm good. He goes in the equivalent of today of Las Vegas. He starts to squander all of that. And trust me, if you have money, you will have a lot of fake friends. You have a lot of people that want to surround you because they don't care about you. They care about what you have. 
But I think this is the, the sort of the, the inner thing that we always, always have had. Like, I remember me growing up, I would be in church praying, but I would look outside and I'm like, man, but my friends are having fun. I'm here praying. You've had those moments where you feel like God is holding something back from you and you're like, you know what? I want my freedom. I want to do, I want to do my thing. And that's what's happening with this kid. Little did he know that the enemy, what the enemy does, and, and I'm sorry if I'm going to be a little bit crass here, but what the enemy does is he gives you something that the God intended for awesome things. Like, for example, he shows you, hey, freedom, it's a good thing. But freedom apart from God is a deadly thing. Hey, money, money is a good thing as long as it's a servant to you and you're not serving money. Money is a tool. But when you have money without God, that lives, uh, uh, leads to reckless living. So what the enemy does is takes a lot of the good gifts that God has given us, and he shows us a, 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 a perversion of that. You know how you, when, you take, when you take those uh, headache peel, pills, and you turn around and say side effects might include diarrhea, uh, you know, dry mouth, and I'm like, that sounds a lot worse. I think I'm good with a headache. Right, like, I'm good with, with having just a headache. The enemy, what he does is saying, hey, sin, take it for pleasure. But then when you bite in it, you realize the side effects of that sin. Addiction, maybe be child support for 18 years paying that. It, it has a lot of side effects. But that's how the enemy lures our young people away. And he says that he takes all that he has and he leaves. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took on a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose the country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now he's broke. He lost everything. He no longer has friends. And he, to us, is like, okay, so he got a job to feed pigs. No, 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 no. You don't understand. To the Jewish people, pigs are unclean. You don't hang around pigs if you're Jewish. He's at the lowest of the low. Not only that, but he is literally made to suffer by being, by being in this place of, of, of complete shame. You grew up in privilege. You grew up amongst, you know, people that loved you. And your, your, your parents have servants. And because of your mistakes, now you're broke, you're single, you are carrying shame. Imagine how you'd feel in that moment if that was you. And I think all of us had those moments where you realize, Lord, I don't know, but this idea of me being in charge of my life is not working out for me. It leads to brokenness. It leads to a life of, of sickness and disease. It leads to a life of shame. And that's where he finds himself. And then this is where the good news starts to, to come. He says that finally, after all this stuff, after he was forced to be in shame, working, feeding the pigs, and realizing that he's so hungry that he would eat what the pigs would have, a lot of times when we are going through broken moments, especially if you're a young person in the house and God is trying to get your attention, a lot of times you don't realize that the things that are happening in your life is God screaming to you in your pain to get your attention. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our joys, but he screams in our pain. If you've noticed, you run to God when it's painful. When you've just lost someone you love. When you're lonely and depressed. And God will allow certain things to happen in your life to get your attention. Because he wants to see you saved. He wants you to come back home. And in this moment, it, 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 I don't think a lot of times we think about what's being said here. But verse 17, 17 says this, But when he came to himself... 
or to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. You know what happens here? In Romans 2, we are told that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In his misery, he realizes that his father is actually good. And he remembers how good being at home was. And he remembers how kind the father was. How the father, even the servants, he would treat the servants with dignity and respect. And and that's what a lot of times happens when a young person comes to the Lord. They realize that, you know what? I was the one who's in the wrong. My father is good. I was the one who didn't realize that up until this moment. If you're older in this place, I encourage you to be patient. I'm old enough to know that the kids that you see now at 16 years old saying, I want to do my own thing, I want to be free for my family and this and that, just be patient. The world is a rough place, and they will come back. Keep praying for them. There will come a day they will realize, you know what, my parents want the best for me. My parents were actually good. They were trying to protect me. I didn't realize that the whole time. And he remembers the goodness of the father. He says, you know what? But how, I just squandered one third of his possessions. Think about this. How do I come back in shame? What what, what is my brother going to say? What what is my family going to say? How do I even get, how do I even get back from this? And I wonder how much he spent this time kind of arguing with with himself. Remember like when you have an argument with a person and you overplay the scenarios in your mind? If they say this, I'm going to say this. And then if they say this, I'm going to say this. I wonder how much time he spent thinking, if my my father says this, I will say this. And and I wonder how long it took him to say, it's worth it to come back home. I wonder how many of people that left the church, they're wanting to return, but they're playing these scenarios in their mind. But, 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 but if I come back and I come to the altar, what will people say? Is he really serious this time? And this is why it's so important for us as a church, as a family, when somebody does show up, that we don't just say, oh, sinner, finally, you came back home. I told you. I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Like, I don't want to. No, because that's not what happens here and what Jesus says. He finally, after arguing his mind for a long time, do I come? Do I not? What's, what's the benefits? What's the, the consequences? What's, what's the negatives, the positives? And he's constantly, constantly doing this. And he, he even says this. He says, and he Uh, But when he came to his senses, he said, I'll go and say this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What What he's trying to do, he's trying to earn his way back in. Dad, I lost a lot of your money, but you know what? You don't have to call me son anymore. That's the payment that I'm, that's the punishment that I'm willing to accept because I've wasted one third of your money. It's It's okay. You don't have to call me a son, but just give me a job. So, so he's coming with this bargain, right, that he wants, you know. And he rose and came to his father. But this is the good news. But while he was long away off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, to me, that's kind of odd. Was his dad sitting at home Did they not have walls? How did they see? How did he see the son coming from a far way off unless the father was actually waiting for him? I think the more plausible explanation is the father was there every single day waiting for him because he saw him from afar. That doesn't happen if he's sitting at home on his chair. Hey, I'm important. I'm sitting. No, the father was waiting for him day in and day out. 
And when he saw him, he ran to him. Again, to us, oh, he ran. Okay, got it, he ran. No, in the Jewish culture, if you run, first of all, you're, wearing, you're, not, you're not wearing pants. You're wearing those long things. So you'd have to pull, pull that up to show your feet, which would kind of be a bad way, a bad sign for you as an elder to pick up everything and start running. You would not do that as an elder in the Jewish culture, but not this father. This father has been waiting every single day. He's ready for this moment. And if you're an older person in here and you have a wayward son, I'm encouraging you to do the same. Patiently wait. One day they will show up. He says that he ran, embraced, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he's bringing his monologue, right? Son, Dad, I, I got to tell you this. Um, I, I, I thought this through. Um, I, I no longer want to be your son because of what I've done. You don't have to. And it seems like the father just completely not, doesn't even listen to what he has to say. He has a whole monologue prepared. The father is just not even looking at him. He just kind of looks around and says, wait, 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 wait. We got we to gotta celebrate this. We, gotta cat, uh, uh, we have to cut down the big calf. And, we, and so, so he gets the, the servants to come. And, and look at this in verse uh, 21. It says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned because heaven, be, be, against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You don't put a ring on someone's finger unless you're part of that family. That was the, the, the family ring. And the father said, no, 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 no. Before you even say anything, you're welcome here. Come back home. You're welcome home. You're always welcome home. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of my, uh, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now to us, we look at the story and we're like, wow, I am so inspired right now. It's awesome that the Lord Jesus is like the Father that's constantly waiting for us to come here. But I, I've done church long enough to know that when people come back home, they come back broken. Let me ask you this of your church. Are you willing to have sinners come back? You are. I, I would expect that you are, are looking to that. Because the whole reason we have this building, the whole reason we have everything in this place is because we're on this great great quest on this great pursuit the god himself partner up with us to see humanity saved that's the whole reason why we're here tonight that's the whole reason why we have this building it's not just us to be saved it's because god wants to see people saved but can i give you a warning when people come back home some of them will come back with tattoos and piercings, and sexual sin. A lot of them will not be pretty the way that when they come back. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. And you'll have to roll up your hands and start doing work. Remember when we started to to reach out to the American community, we had this romantic idea that, hey, we're going to plant a church, and all the perfect people will show up. All the people who are perfect, they look good, they have their life together. Imagine if a hospital did that. You know what? We're going to open a hospital and all the healthy people will show up. Like everyone that will come. No, you open a hospital and somebody comes with a busted head and somebody comes with something sick. It's like, how did you even stick that in your side? And and then somebody comes with, I don't know what's going on, but something is really wrong with me. That's the natural order of things when you go to a hospital. You go there because you have a problem. And spiritually speaking, when it comes to a church, that's what we are. You will start seeing people that show up with, with a, a, a past. 
past that broke them, that scarred them? Are you willing to, to say, Lord, I'm going to roll up my sleeves? I remember the story of Mother Teresa. She's Catholic. We disagree on a lot of things. But she went to serve in Calcutta to a lot of people who are lepers. And she was washing the feet of this leper. And a businessman came in and said, how, do you, how can you do this? You left a, a life of prominence to come serve the lepers in Calcutta. I wouldn't do this for a million dollars. And she looks at him and says, sir, me neither. I wouldn't do this for a million dollars either. I do because when I was much worse, my Savior did that to me. When the, when the son, when the younger son comes back home, they will come with problems. But this, this here, the celebration doesn't happen after they got, they got fixed. It happens then. Are you willing to accept people who are broken? I, I am I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm single right now, but one thing in my ministry that I noticed is in our church, we have people who have been divorced. And I remember one particular friend of mine came to our church, and she was divorced for seven years. She said, Slavik, I never want to come back to church because I wondered what would people think. And I'm like, look, we might not agree with divorce, but when somebody has been divorced for seven years, we need to find a way. How do we minister to this person? She needs a place to belong to. She needs to, to come back home. And she says, Slavik, I was watching one of your Instagram lives, and you were really kind, and you answered questions. And I said, you know what? If this pastor, if he's like this, I, maybe I should give church another chance. And she, right now, is actually one of our lead singers at, at Bellevue. After years and years of brokenness, the Lord brought her back home. I know maybe this is not Bellevue, but you have influence here. You have people to interact with that have passed and they, they have broken pasts. I hope that this church becomes a beacon of hope. I hope this church becomes a home for all the broken people around. I see you guys have, well, at least I heard you have a drug problem around here. I pray that this church becomes a home for people who've been addicted to drugs to find refuge and to find family and healing and restoration. I hope that, that God raises up pastors and evangelists who are previous drug addicts in this church. I hope that in this church there are people who God raises up to be godly businessmen who have a broken past. Because the unfortunate thing is things haven't changed much. That even in this story we see another problem. Verse 25. Now his older son was in a field. So this younger son has an older brother. It says, now his older son was in a field and he came and drew near to the house and heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Oh, but that's not, that enthusiasm, it really wears thin on the older brother. But the older brother, but he answered his father, I'm sorry, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So what you have here is what Jesus is encountering in the moment when he's saying this, this story. You have a whole bunch of religious people the came with the arms folded, said, oh, I see how it is. We, we, we're celebrating now? This guy just took one-third of our, of our possessions and squandered them on prostitutes. And now, oh, he's back from the dead? And you guys are celebrating this? You guys are dancing? Now, the father could have said, you know what? <laughs> the servant comes in. 
your older son is having a problem with this. The, son, the, the father could be like, you know what, that's just problem. That's not what he does. The father walks out, says this, but he, the, the, the older son, says, was angry and refused to go in. So he's sitting outside like, no, this is not happening. I'm not going in. This is not okay. Right? His father comes out. He leaves the dancing, the party, all that behind. In essence, the father is, re- is coming to reason with the religious person. He says, look, his father came out and entreated him. But he's, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't say my brother, he disowned him as a brother. He says, this son of yours, you know, if you're both sons of the same father, the right terminology there would be my brother, my younger brother. That's not what he says. He says, this son of yours. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. I was fitting to celebrate. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It amazes me how this whole thing gets lost on the older brother. The older brother thinks that... My pastor said this story that I think is just so powerful. He says that if you ever went to a party and somebody decides to, let's say this party is on a rooftop, and somebody decides they maybe got drunk and they decide to jump off the roof and they land, right, and they're still alive, and you call the paramedics and they come over and they're doing CPR and they're reviving this person. Imagine if somebody got up and like, wait, what are you guys doing? Wait a second. If you guys save this guy, then everyone's going to jump off the roof. That would make no sense. Just because somebody decided to jump off the roof and suffer the consequences doesn't mean that everyone, if you save this person, that means that everyone will jump off the roof from now on. But this is what happens in churches a lot. Somebody is affected by sin to the point where their life gets destroyed and broken. And the pastors gather around and say, hey, let's pray for this person. Let's see him saved. Let's see him revived. And the religious people come around like, yeah, but if you do that, then everyone's going to go and sleep around and do all these things. Really? Because one thing I know about sin is it it has an effect on you. It breaks you. I never want to go back to my sinful lifestyle because it took so much out of me. So this idea that if I pray for someone to be saved, that everyone's going to jump off the building now or they're going to like go headlong into sinning, I don't think so because I know the true price of sin. I know the price that I paid because of the sin in my life the consequences that I've suffered. So here's the thing. Even though the story is called the story of a prodigal son, the truth of the matter is it's more of a tale of two sons. One of them is very lascivious, goes and sleeps around with prostitutes, squanders. So this son is trying to control the father by disobedience. He wants to do his thing. He wants to control the father. He says, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. On the other side, you have the other extreme of a religious son that's trying to control the father by his obedience, by his goodness. And the father, the good father, is reasoning with both of them. The good father is welcoming back the lost son in lasciviousness and sin, and at the same time comes to the religious son and says, You both, there's room for both of us in my house. 
And this is not about giving to him or giving to him. As long as you're my house, you share in everything that I have. You following Jesus and being in the church and being in his body, you are not being suppressed. This is a great place to be. Because if you ever spend time in sin, you know how taxing that is on your soul. How broken that makes you. The consequences of your sin. And I think if anything about the story, these three, you know, the, the, the small stories, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost prodigal son, and the lost religious person, I think any of those scenarios describes one or two of us. But the good news, and a lot of times we like, are you, are you a sinner or are you the Pharisee? And Jesus is calling us to a third way. A person who lives by grace. A person who understands that it's not your bad things or your good things that makes you who you are in the family. What makes you who you are in the family is that you belong to God. What makes you part of the family is that Jesus died and sacrificed himself on the cross. He paid the price for our sin for us to belong in God's family. That is what makes us his sons and his daughters. What makes us his is that we have a new identity in him. And it's not, hey, I'm going to do bad things or good things. It's, Lord, I walk with you. And because of that, my life will resemble you. We live by grace through faith. We live because our sin was paid on the account of another, which is Jesus himself. We live, we are in this place because it was God's goodness that gave us another breath. It was God's goodness that this church is open. It was God's goodness that God raised up pastors that are godly in this church to watch over our, over our souls. It's God's goodness that we have family that taught us about who God is. But if by chance you're like the lost coin that maybe you were born in the wrong family or in the place you didn't hear about Jesus, I'm inviting you to come to him. If by chance you're like the lost sheep, can I tell you that Jesus is out looking for you to bring you back home? And if you directly looked at God and said, God, I want nothing to do with you. I want to turn around. I want what you have, but I don't want anything to deal with you. Can I tell you, when you turn around, God is always waiting for you to come back home. Just like the father who made a fool of himself to be outside looking for his son. God at times broke the traditions. He didn't break his law, but he broke what people thought was the proper way of doing things to reach you and me. That is the goodness of our Lord and Savior. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he invites us at his table, how dare any of us look at someone that just arrived and say, well, wait a second. I, uh, w- what's this guy doing here? Now, listen, the reason you're at the table is not because you did better. The reason is you're at the table is because of God's goodness, because of his grace that you are here. So I always describe this, that Christians and non-Christians who are people who are just coming to Jesus, it's like, they're not like cats and dogs. They're like, you know, an old Christian who's been walking with Jesus is like a full-grown dog. And then a young Christian who just came to Jesus like a puppy. They're very passionate, but they're kind of dumb, right? Like, they don't know a lot of things. Perhaps they grow, they mature, and then they're a force to be reckoned with. I, I, I don't mean to insult the young Christians here. I'm just asking you, if you've been walking with Jesus for longer, to be graceful to those who don't understand the way you understand yet. If you see someone that comes in with ripped jeans, help them understand that they're accepted in this place and their jeans will change. Eventually, things you will see changed. I don't... I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo or a piercing. It's just something I don't do. 
I don't ever encourage anyone to get a tattoo or a piercing. But if somebody comes in, I don't know their past. At the cross of Jesus, there is room for all the broken. For people who have a past, who've been divorced, who have tattoos, who maybe don't believe exactly everything the way I believe. Eventually, as we are reading scripture, as we, as they hear sermons, their theology will correct itself. Because the Holy Spirit, it will be their teacher. The whole, I love that verse that says that the work that God started in you, He is faithful to complete. And when you see someone that it's not there yet, their theology is not there yet, can I tell you that the work that God has started in their hearts, He's the one who will complete it. And that is my encouragement for this church that you become a beacon of hope for this area. Do you become a home for the homeless? I know that has a lot of political connotations, but I'm just telling you what Scripture made it very plain, that Jesus was a friend of sinners, that Jesus ate with sinners. There was a campus that I was part of in Canmore. I never, I never really cared about football and watching football, but every single time we had Super Bowl, we had this giant screen. We played Super Bowl, and the whole community that normally would not attend church, they would come. And they were watching Super Bowl, but I was on a mission. I'd go talk to this person about Jesus and talk to this person about Jesus. And like, that was, I was like, this is a great thing where the, normally, normally they would not come to church because like, oh, church is not for me. But they would come to this event. And this gave me a specific amount of time to go talk to this person and this person and this person. And slowly and slowly, people start attending our church. And we went from having literally, uh, I think we had like 20 people to right now there's close to 702 services. And, but, but when they come in, you will see weird things. There will be people who need to be delivered. I remember it was the same campus, but at that time we were in Linwood, where we're having this massive service. And I was sitting all the way in the back, and this girl who's doing worship for us, she comes over, she comes over and says, Slavik, there's a weird guy outside. And I walk in, there's this 15-year-old kid that's dressed up all in white with a New Testament, and he's just out of his mind. And he's trying, like he's yelling at people, and I'm like, what is happening here? And the ushers are trying to hold, it's him and his mom and his sister, and it's just a scene and his mom's like, stop the service, stop the service, my son needs prayer. And I'm like, well, pray for him right here. And, he, and he's just crazy, like yelling at us. And, and I'm thinking like a good youth pastor would do, call the cops. No, I, I, like I'm thinking like, what is happening? And then it dawns on me, maybe we should pray about the situation. Now keep in mind, for about 20 minutes, I'm trying to calm this kid down. And he's yelling, he's being belligerent, and he's calling me names. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And I just put my hand on him. And everything just goes silent. And I'm, I don't know why I always pray with my eyes closed. In this moment, maybe it's not a good idea to pray with your eyes closed. Because I'm like, he's going to punch me any minute. But he's quiet. And then we get done praying. I lift my hand. He's just looking at me. I look at him. And I'm like. And this guy up until now, he's just yelling at us. He's like trying to grab us. He's, and everyone, all the Christian professionals are like. Did prayer just work? Right? Like, and I'm like, what's your name, bro? He's like, oh, uh, my name is Ilya. Like, what happened? And his mom's like, well, he's been like this for five days. He's been watching some video games. I don't know if he was demon-possessed. I don't know what happened. What I do know is the moment that we start praying, things just went away. And I understood the power of prayer in that moment. You will be dealt situation. You're like, Lord, how do I, how do I, what do I do in this moment? I have no idea what I'm doing. Can I tell you that prayer is always a good option? Always a good option. Stop praying. You will start seeing weird things happen. Pray. Pray for them. Call to the altar. Ask people to come back home. Because all of this, all of this, this is a beautiful facility, by the way. We don't have this in Bellevue. All of this 
if we don't reach people, is in vain. One of the greatest crimes, I think, in the, in the Russian Slavic community is that we celebrate 25 or 30 years, and maybe we'll have one or two Americans that go to our church. Do we take Jesus' calling to go make disciples of all nations seriously? Do we take it or we don't? Do we take Jesus, his word, seriously? If he himself, being God, washed the disciples' feet, can we get over our piano move arguments? If he himself sat down with sinners and prostitutes, can we talk to the homeless people? Can we invite people that are not like us? I hope our churches, we start seeing that. I don't know anything about your church other than just me being invited here by Matt. But I really felt like this message is for you tonight. And this is what God has placed me for this church. And here's my call to you to prayer. If you're far away from Jesus, come back home. If you've wandered off thinking you're going to be some superstar in, in L.A. or, you know, we all have all our dreams and then you, you realize that your dreams are just so, so shallow. Right? Jesus is out looking for you. And if you deliberately said you want nothing to do with God and turn your back on God, he's waiting for you. But if by chance you happen to be the older son and you see someone coming to the altar where somebody come into church and they're maybe not, they don't smell right, maybe you're thinking they're going to stay in the carpet, so be it. You can afford a carpet cleaner, can't you? Yeah, you can. We need to walk, no matter what that costs us, because this carpet is useless unless we see people's lives being transformed and changed. And that is my hope for this church. I pray that God raises up your pastors, evangelists, business leaders in this place. I pray. One thing that I love, one of the reasons I accepted the invitation to speak here, I, 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 don't, I don't make money from ministry. I have a regular job. But one thing that gets me excited is when I see a new church plant. Because I'm like, those people will reach some people that I will never be able to reach. I've been to paradise where this area maybe three or four times in my life. But you live here. You go to the same schools, gyms, works as these people. And God needs you to be his church. Now maybe in the sound of my voice, maybe there's 40, 60, I don't know how many people are in this audience right now. But Jesus had 12. And when we see God doing a massive move, he's always looking for that Nehemiah, for that David who will change things, for the Gideon. When Gideon is like, Lord, but I'm not even a fighter. God says, go in the strength that you have. What, would love, what I'd love to see is when we start a new campus, a new church, or a new ministry, that God will give us a, a pile of cash, some 300, 400 people, a lot of leaders, but that's not what happens. The Lord asks you to plant a church by opening a small group, and it's you, your sister, and another person that's random. And you're like, this is awkward. And in that moment, God says, do ministry in the strength that you have, with what you have. If it's just you and your family, do ministry. Apostle John, he says he went to the island of Popamus, and he opened up a church called the, the Church of I, John. It had one member, John himself. He says that I started to minister unto the Lord. How do you minister unto the Lord by yourself? Apparently, there's a way to do that. So if it's you and two other people, you're already ahead. Right? So, so it doesn't matter the numbers. God always looks for that one man, one woman. Well, say, you know what? I will give my life to serve you, Lord, regardless in what context, whatever you call me to do. So I'm asking right now, could you stand with me? And can you close your eyes? I'm not going to call anybody up front, but if you can all close your eyes, I want to know who I'm praying for. And here's what I'm praying for. If you have not given your life to the Lord, could you raise your hand? I just want to know who I'm praying for. I'm going to be praying for you. 
I don't see any hands. If anybody, if you have not given your life to the Lord, I always try to do this, especially if I speak in a new place. Could you raise your hand? Okay, so I'm assuming, because I don't see any hands, I'm assuming that I'm speaking to Bible-believing Christians who already chose to follow Jesus. The next thing I want to pray for, and that's for all of us, that you become the disciple that God has called you. That you be mentored and discipled by your pastors, but at the same time, you find someone else to disciple, to tell them about the good news of Jesus. And that this church will be a place, a home for people to find refuge. So could you raise your voice with me and, and pray for this church? Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event that you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless.